Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. In the end of our last episode, I had just made Solomon the fresh start poster child in view of all the things that brought his mom and dad together. I could have easily skipped over any offspring from that union, but instead, his will be the household's name, in part because I'm going to let him build my house. I had just begun to give the details of who's getting to do what around my house when we ran out of time. So, let's continue, because as you can imagine, when it comes to my digs, every detail counts, especially when it comes to who gets to be in the band. Knowing that David is a skilled and accomplished musician himself, it should come as no surprise that he is very precise in his appointments to the music department. We've got trained lyrists, harpists, percussionists, and a whole passel of singers whose primary purpose will be to regale me with thanksgiving and praise. All of First Chronicles 25 is devoted to the parsing out of all the Levitical musicians. Here, a great deal of stock is placed in which skills run in what family, which you've no doubt seen in your life and others. Someone who's athletic often has children that share their gifts of physical coordination. Another who's a math and biology whiz has scientists for kids. And parents with musical skill bear musical children, who also have to find day jobs. David happens to be all these things. So the families of known musicians are given that task to run with for generations. And this style of selection, appointing generations of descendants to the same task, just like we've done with the Levites and with Aaron and the priesthood, follows throughout David's appointments. After he's taken care of this musical category nearest and dearest his heart, David is then just as detailed in chapters 26 and 27 of 1 Chronicles in his setting up the family lines of gatekeepers, treasurers, officers, judges, and guards. There will definitely need to be some guards with the tons of gold and silver put to use throughout my house. David is working his way towards what becomes the climax of 1 Chronicles. We've told you this is coming a public charge to Solomon that repeats much of what the old king has said in private. This moment of David's repeating his charge to Solomon displays the poetic heart of this old king after my own heart as part of the art of Hebrew poetry of which David has become a master is the repetition of primary phrases with slight modification in order to intensify their meaning. This warrior, king, shepherd, statesman, lyrist, composer, and poet ends his public life in both the books of Kings and Chronicles 
with his final charge to his son and successor, Solomon. In both, David tells Solomon to be strong and courageous, words Joshua would find familiar, to keep my statutes and commands, and to walk in my ways so that my hand of blessing and prosperity would ever be over him. Just track along in 1 Chronicles 28 and keep your finger there. David also warned Solomon that straying from my path would likewise remove him from my protection. Now, the writer of Kings continues his focus on throne room intrigue by including in David's final words his wish that Solomon do some house cleaning and off the deadly Joab and cursed Shimei, whose cruelties and dishonor David has never forgotten. These matters again are not mentioned in the farewell account in Chronicles, which is far more focused on the construction of my temple and the legacy David is leaving therein. But if you want to open up 1 Kings 2 and look up the intrigue, no one's going to stop you. So, David's final words to Solomon, recorded by the chronicler, begin with a reminder to Solomon and all of Israel's leaders that I am the one who has appointed Solomon to be the king and to build my house. Honestly, it's been so long since we asked. Would you please be so kind as to get out Tom, uh, that's the owner's manual, if you haven't listened to an episode for a while. Get out Tom and look this lick up for yourself, won't you? It really isn't that long, is frankly stirring, and will take far less time if you read it rather than have to talk it through here. So go ahead, First Chronicles 28, 2 through 10. Hit pause, open the app, First Chronicles 28, 2. Ready, go. You see, so much in there, right? David's history, his love for me, his hopes and desires for his son, and for this most important of all building projects at which their reigns intersect. Of most import to you are David's words there in verse 9, because he might as well be saying them straight at you sitting there today. Know the God of your father, and serve him with single mind and willing heart, for Yahweh searches every mind and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will abandon you. You can hear David's memory of Saul in that last bit, his memory of Saul's letting the monarchy slip through his fingers because he essentially failed to pay close enough attention to me. Don't get tripped up on the warning, friend. Like every good parent, I need you to know up front there will be consequences if you do wrong. But I'm not issuing a warning in the hopes of getting to punish anyone. No, my great hope is that you will seek to know me, that you will serve us with a single mind and willing heart. These are David's words to his son, and they're my words to you. If you seek me, I will be found by you. That's the biggest request I'm making of you throughout all of this, that you seek me. I am not, however, going to ask you to build another temple for me except for the body we've given you to live in at the moment, but that's something for another volume. 
David, though, is so fixated on the temple that his final words to his son and people are all about it. I mean, thanks be to me that he thought enough to urge Solomon to follow me wholeheartedly, but then David is all about, and I mean all about, the building project. I think he feels like it's his lasting legacy and the reason people will remember him, because they're going to forget everything else, right? So after David opens with the all-important charge that Solomon know and serve me, the king launches into the business of temple building. Here, Solomon, are the plans. There are plans for everything covering each nook and cranny. Plans for the building and the rooms within. Plans for the lampstands, the tables and the cups, bowls, and cutlery to be placed upon them. Plans for literally all the works having anything to do with my house. That's First Chronicles 28.19 if you want all the detail. Then David brings out the great heaps of precious metals and stones, iron and wood he has personally amassed for the project. He points out just how very much there is of all of it, and then asks the leaders of Israel and her tribes to follow suit. It's not quite a match-your-pledge tactic on his part, but David's generosity is highly motivating to the other leaders. And when everyone's finished trying to outgive the next guy, not out of compulsion or contest, really, but to sincerely honor us with an appropriately fabulous edifice, there is an extraordinary amount of material ready to fulfill its even more extraordinary destiny. Tears well up in David's eyes as he looks out on the generosity of our people, and he lifts to us one of the most beautiful prayers you'll ever find in the manual. You know me well enough by now to know that I'm going to ask you to read this one also for yourself, friend. Crack it back open to First Chronicles 29, 10-22. Uh, don't crack your tablet, though. And read David's final recorded words. Fittingly, they are directed to me. And once again, though I am David's Lord, and ultimately everyone else's sooner or later, all the times you see Lord in small caps in his prayer, he is still on a first-name basis with me and addressing me as Yahweh. All right, okay, I see you walking the dog, and you on the peloton not wanting to break your pace, and all you others who really can't, well, can't is such a strong word who are, let's say, not in a convenient position to open your Bible. I want you to hear these words. If you can, close your eyes and listen to how this boy after my own heart, now an old king, how he speaks to me. David praised Yahweh in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Yahweh, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Yahweh, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Yahweh, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. 
Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Yahweh, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Yahweh, the God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise Yahweh your God. So they all praised Yahweh, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before Yahweh and the king. Wow! It's all in there, isn't it? A spectacular summary of so much, not unlike David's dense theology in his fluid poetry across all of his psalms to me. My singular greatness, the fact that everything good that comes to you comes from out of my hands, our deep knowledge of each of your hearts, and our carrying out our purposes therein from Abraham on through to Solomon in fulfillment of my promise and plan. In view of all these things for which David has just praised me, he turns to the whole assembly and tells them to do the same, to praise and bless me. They do. They bow down before me and offer up a small mountain of sacrifices to me in thanks and praise, and we join them at the table that results. It's a sanctified cookout with grilled beef, roasted lamb, and the closest thing to Cabernet they could come up with at the time. The menu may be different, but I will be no less at your table when you give thanks this week than I was at that cookout so many years ago. I am thankful for you and our journey together. Happy Thanksgiving, friend. Live a life that keeps giving thanks on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself. <laughs>